We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, if you want to go ahead and open up there. And before we dive into that, I do want to share two things, two testimonies, two thoughts. Uh, the first one is this, is that Jesus is often mentioned in Scripture to be the source of living water. This year has been has been good. There's been times to rejoice. Uh, new life, just seeing the ministry of the oaks, work, bills being paid. There's many things to rejoice, but then there's were some hellish things. There were some times of affliction and suffering. And through all of this, you know, we, we our goal and desire is to eagerly seek God and pursue Christ and what He wants to do in our lives. And the first thing that I learned this year is walking through this with my daughter's death is, you know, and it was really quick. Is like why rush to live amongst the mountaintops when the richest waters flow in the valley? And we have to learn to drink in this valley. We've got to learn what it looks like to drink from the cup of this living water that gives life even in our affliction. That was new to me on this, I guess you would, a depth in this level of um, just hurt. Is about the best way to put it. And just wonder why. You crucify that word very quickly because you have no control over that. You just know that you're there for a reason. And you trust the Spirit of God to do that, to finish His work. The second thing that I want to bring to the note that I wanted to mention this morning is that when the noise of life continued to creep in, it was quiet for a while. People were coming across. People were visiting, sharing their, their heartfelt condolences and, and loving us. But then things got quiet. The dust settled. Life moved on. And the noise crept in. And during those moments of grief, two things were constant in our chaos, in what I'll call chaotic lives. Just this wonderment, what's going on. It was this, Jesus, Jesus was constant there. And then secondly, the church. It was vital to us. And I use that word in all seriousness. The way you love my family. And the testimonies you've heard this morning, the way you've loved others. We may only be 60 or 80 people, but I'll, I'll stand with you. We'll go to war. Because we'll be faithful to the Word and faithful to who He is. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. As we hear about the hope and the peace and His faithfulness to us as His church. I want us to look at our lives and ask, are we faithful to Him? Are we faithful to what our responsibility is as the church? So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. We'll start there and then we'll go from there. So Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, Others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon or Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So here we are in a conversation. Let me give you a little bit of context and where they're located. 
there in Caesarea Philippi, which is 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And I bring that to our attention because first, this was the center of worship for the god Baal. Baal was this fertility god. And he worshipped here in the ancient Middle Eastern community. And he was part of it, especially among the Canaanites. So for you history buffs out there, we need to understand that there was this God and there was this worship there. And then later on, the center of worship came for the God Pan. Upon. Look it up, different words. And this was just the God that see over the wild and over the shepherds and over the flocks and over the mountains and the hunting. And then there came this worship for Caesar. So all of these places were taken, the centers of worship were taking place at this one specific area where our text unfolds this morning. And I thought it was very interesting and very, it just raised some curiosity at the intentionality of our God. If you read and you break back the nuts and bolts of Scripture, you see that it is very intentional where things would unfold unfold and play out and this morning we see that in our text as many gods were worshipped and they were believed to be God but we know that our God the Christ is here and he is asking in Matthew chapter 16 13 through 17 he questions the disciples about his identity he looks to his disciples and he asks them who who do the people say that the son of man is And in verse 14, they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and the others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So he looks at them and says, what is everybody else saying? Who are they saying that I am? And they respond. And then he turns their his direction, his attention straight to the disciples. And he says, who do you say that I am? And then Peter pipes up, you know, Peter, the one who's known to put his foot in his mouth. He is quick to come on behalf of the disciples and say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus commended Peter in stating that his confession of faith was based upon, look at that, was based upon not what he knew in flesh and blood, but it was revealed to him by the Father who was in heaven. In Matthew 16, 17. This is important because our true understanding of who Christ is does not come from our understanding. As Wes was sharing about the veil that is torn from our eyes, our understanding and true understanding of the Christ comes from divine revelation. So if you know someone, you know that they're not walking with this hope that you have. And you know that they're walking aimless in this life. And that there is not a place waiting in eternity for them. We must go to the one who is sovereign, to the one who is in control, the one who brings revelation, and that is God, the Father, through His Holy Spirit. He asked them, he goes, who do they think I am? Who do you think I am? And Peter's insight came from the Father who is in heaven. We must understand this only because this is by the grace of God that we understand the fullness of what Christ has done for His church. That's the only way we understand it. The Spirit provides clarity. And this spurs a question. Who do we think Jesus is? Bring it home. Who do you say that I am? 
If we look at Jesus as a good teacher, we'll follow him as a good teacher. If we look at him as a good idea, he'll be a part of our ideology of this life. If we look at him as a good example, we will do our best to live by his example and mirror his very image. But we must understand who we say that Jesus is will determine everything about the way that we live. So, Peter called him the Christ, meaning Messiah, the anointed, the Savior, the liberator. He is the redeemer. I like to refer to him as the rescuer. And I'm the rescued. And we must look to our life and say, Father, thank you. For I am rescued and you are holy. You are holy. You are holy. You are the Lord. You are master. You are ruler. You are who you say you are. You are I am. That is everything. This changes the way we follow after him and our pursuit and live our lives to honor him in all that we do. We all have individual platforms and ways of life and responsibilities. We must, church, point to the Christ. And as Christ looked to Peter, I'm convinced he's doing the same to us today as his church. Who do you say that I am? When you answer this question, it will change your trajectory. It will change why you go to work. It will change how you love your wife, how you love your family. It will change how you raise your children. So Jesus looked to the disciples and asked, what are they saying about me? Who do they say that I am? Now what do you say that I am? Who do you say that who am I? And then Jesus took the opportunity to speak about his church in Matthew chapter 16, 18 through 19. In verse 18 is the first time the word church is mentioned. The word church, you and I, and this word comes from Jesus Christ, the head of the church. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, if you're taking notes, you can read it later and I'll read it to you now. It says, He is the image of the invisible God. We could stop there. Wow. Our Savior, our Rescuer is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him, for Him. Let it go. <laughs> we are His. We are treasure. Good news. And He is the head, and then continues there, and He is before all things, and all things hold together, and He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent, supreme, for in Him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. By the blood of the cross. This is Jesus Christ. He promised to build his church in Matthew 16, 8 through 19. He made it possible by making peace upon the cross. He said, I will build my church. The responsibility, once again, is not ours, it is his. And Peter has this knowledge, not from flesh and blood, but by the heavenly Father. So let's look at church and let's define church. It's a Greek word. Translated from ecclesia, 
Ecclesia meaning congregation or assembly. Church is used in the Bible through two understandings, in which I understand is the church is universal, global church, the big C church, and then there's the local church. That's you and I, a community of people who come together to do life together and to be intimate with Jesus, His church. And when Jesus speaks of the church in our text, He is speaking about the bride of Christ, the global church. He says, Peter, I will build my church. When we look at our passage in verse 18, Jesus mentioned the foundation upon which it is built, Peter the rock. Built upon Peter the rock. Jesus acknowledges here some kind of foundation. Some type of foundation here in Peter. He says, I tell you, you are the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. And by God's grace alone, Peter has just confessed in our text that Jesus Christ is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And after Peter's confession is when Jesus declared he is going to build upon this confession. The church continues today to be built and to grow among the confession of his believers. It continues to grow in this way. So looking at the church this morning, giving you an overview my goal was to bring to you to the table, what does it look like? So we're going to turn to our second passage in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. Jesus Christ says, I am going to build my church on you, Peter. You are the rock. You have confessed me as Jesus Christ. Because not of revelation of you and your flesh and blood and knowledge, but because of God the Father. So let's turn to Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. It is fair for us to state that the church, the global church, began on the day of Pentecost. In the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 21, the Spirit was poured out upon the apostles and the people. And when the Peter, when Peter preached the first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2, 22 through 40, Thousands, thousands were saved and the Lord added to his church. So before we get into Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, I want you to understand what has happened. Peter, I will build my church on you, the rock, preach the gospel message, and thousands were added to the church that day. And then let's look what happened in 42. Acts chapter 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This happened after the gospel message and we observed what took place here after the sermon and I'm encouraged. What I see in Acts 42-47 through 47 appears to me to be a blueprint. That this, is, this is what the church did there. And the Lord added to them day by day our heart, as we heard from Ms. Johnette's testimony, is we want to see the gospel move, 
So it only makes sense in my mind logically that we look at the early church, take this concept, ask the Holy Spirit to move, and do it here, now, in today's context. So I want to look at this and examine it and look at this guide and to be, to me, a clear display of what the church looks like. And as I did this this week, in the last two weeks, I want you to do the same. I want you to examine your life, take your life, put it against the text, and then ask the Holy Spirit to work. Because I promise you, there are some things in our lives, as imperfect people, we must calibrate and to learn and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring it to fruition and understanding of what the church looks like now. So I speak on behalf of the elders, and we talked about commitments and what our commitment is to you. And we know that the calling in the passage in the text that it was placed for us as elders and the responsibility. But there's two things that I want to bring. And the first one here is our commitment is to oversee and train fully devoted followers of Christ. Fully devoted followers of Christ. I get and understand that there's many people in this room who have been doing or have been having a relationship with the Christ for some time. But I still want us to examine and look at our lives as the church as a whole, as the bride of Christ. And when they say in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, look at that word devoted or devotion. If you look at the Greek translation, it says persist, to persevere in, continue steadfast. But wait for it. It also says, wait upon. Patience. Wait upon. Wait upon. As the bride of Christ, waiting for His King to return, we must wait upon. And how we need to hear this in our devotion to the Christ and as His church requires patience to wait upon and watch. To watch Him work in our lives. So to be devoted, to be persistent, to persevere. They were devoted to the Word, if you look in chapter 2, 42. They were devoted to the Apostles' teaching. Devotion to the Word comes, it's more than the gathering on Sunday. It's more than home group on Thursday. The devotion to the Word is being continued in being steadfast in the truth and the knowledge. It is ongoing. It governs our life. It brings truth. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of our soul and of our spirit and joints and of our marrows. Look how deep this is, the Word, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's the Word of God. We must devote ourselves to that. The second thing they did was they devoted themselves to one another in fellowship. That is important. If you translate that again, also in Greek, it means participation. Participation. But not just participation, it also means sharing. So that when we fellowship, when we gather around the table, we gather together within these four walls and in our homes. We fellowship and we talk to each other. We participate and we share. 
That is so important for us. Participation as a church, and this is where I want to bring something to the forefront, is that there's no such thing as participation in the church because you aren't the church. We are, this is a building. You don't come to participate in church. You are the church. You're already a part of it. You're participating. God has called you and redeemed you, rescued you. Our responsibility is the temple of Christ. That doesn't happen just here and now. That happens, that is an ongoing process. You are the church here. You are the church tomorrow. You have that responsibility to be devoted to fellowshipping with the saints. It's important. Very important. The third thing I want to mention that they were devoted to was prayer in their house meetings and in the temples. It says they were fellowshiped and they were breaking bread and they were devoted to the prayers. That's simple. Prayer is your lifeline between the Savior. Holy Spirit, align yourself in union in communion with the Holy Heavenly Father. This is nothing new. Remember, I want you this morning to take what I'm talking about against the text and just calibrate yourself. Where am I at for 2015? Holy Spirit, move in me. The next is breaking of bread. This is understood to come together in communion as the saints, but also to break bread over the dinner table. They had large meals of fellowship, small meals of fellowship. But they came together like-minded. And then they said later on that they sold and they were selling their possessions in verse 45 and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were giving. The Bible commands for us to give cheerfully. But the church was selling. You know how tough it might be for me to go sell my big screen TV? Does somebody need to pay a light bill? We have to. That's how serious this is. The Spirit of God compels me and says, Casey, do this for X, Y, Z, for whomever. I must learn to respond and do it. But here, there's a, there's a, there's kind of a both and. We don't, can't meet needs until we know needs. Therefore, the church must trust and share needs, not, and then meet needs. Like as simple as Steph said, that she wasn't going to Nicaragua when she felt led there. She let the need known to my wife, and my wife let it known to someone else. Before you know it, boom, they were going. The church works in mighty ways. Continue to learn what that looks like in our giving, in our generosity, in our cheerfulness, selling possessions and giving things away that I just don't need. I want you to be blessed. Be blessed. It's important that we do that. The third thing I want to talk about is they had all things in common. They were doing this life together. It should not be foreign for you and I to sit around the table and talk about Jesus. It should not be. It should not be foreign for you and I to get around and share testimony of the goodness of God. It should not be foreign for us to get on our knees and weep together. We must be the church. We have this life on mission together. We must link arms and go at it. And another thing that we value and want to oversee and just come to see you all exercise your gifts and abilities to edify 
the church. Doesn't make specific mention there in Acts chapter 2, 42. But it mentions in throughout the scriptures that the gifts and talents given by the Holy Spirit were here to exalt the Christ, but edify the church. So as we look at all these things, as we look at the, our, the word, where are you there? Is it more than Sundays? This is not, and I'll clarify myself, this is not in some legalistic fashion that you have to. My hope is that you want You drink from it and it's good. And you don't wait for me or Jason or Joe or Joe Arsenault or Scott or anyone else to feed it to you. You go. You go to the table on your own. And you learn it. Digest it. Where are you at with one another, your fellowship? Take it to that next level. Don't wait for things to be organized. Create it. Be the church. Learn what that looks like. Open the front door to your neighbors. Or if you don't trust them, eat outside. Start being the church. Let's pray more. Not for the sense of it. We have to. Because that's our lifeline. That's who we are. And that's what God desires to be in communion with His saints. When we break bread together, we all like to eat. Let's do it together. Let's fellowship together. And then we continue to give. You guys, I want to just give you props. You are very generous. Very generous. And I look forward to 2015 having a budget and getting involved in the community and just seeing needs continue to be met. Thank you. Thank you for being generous. As we continue to learn what that looks like, we do life together. I may not be able to meet that need, but you let one of the elders know that you trust, and we don't say your name, but we know someone needs to pay the light bill. They can't pay it this week. They lost their job. We are prepared to minister. Let us know where we can minister. And more importantly, not where we can minister, but where you can minister. Serving is more than a program. It is our way of living. Yes, will we organize community events? Yes. Will we have a, I hope to be a presence of the gospel in this community? Yes. But as a pastor, I speak on behalf of the other pastors, to see your life and to measure it and see you meet needs of the neighbors, meet needs of those that you know, that's bringing joy. And that displays the full functionality of the church. So we look at that and we look at your gifts and talents. There's ways that you can be serving. Please contact us. Let us know. But not only do we want to oversee and train fully devoted followers of Christ, but the second commitment is that we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to complete the work. I can't do it for you. I believe one of the biggest hurdles that the American church has today is Pacified. We cannot be a faith family that is pacified. We must move on to meet. We must move on to do things that only God can do in our lives. And watch closely for those. In Acts 2.42, we learn that it's a result of what happened in Acts chapter 2.38. Let me read it to you. In 2.38, and Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord 
our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them and saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. That, my friends, was a ministry of the Holy Spirit. That is what we must trust to do in us. The Holy Spirit enters the scene as reference as a gift. And in John 14, 26, Jesus Christ mentions the Holy Spirit as a helper. It reads, But the helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance that all that I have said to you. Of all of the gifts that are given by mankind, the greatest, none, there's no one greater than the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has many function, roles, and behaviors. But the first one is it works in the heart. Remember, Peter, not by flesh and blood, but by the heavenly Father. The Holy Spirit convicts the heart. Jesus told the disciples that he would send the Spirit into the world to convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit is the revealer of truth. He will guide us into all truth, reveal our minds in the whole counsel of God as it relates to our worship and how we live life into our doctrine and our Christian living. Not only does he cut to the core and he is that one, the helper that reveals to us the sin in our lives, but he is also the gift giver. We must trust the Holy Spirit to reveal to us our gifts that are given to us as believers in order that we may function as the body of Christ here on this earth. Think about this body. And you've heard it before growing up. The case is missing an arm or a leg. Real simple analogy. I'm going to have a limp. I'm not going to be fully functioning. I will learn to do it without my arm or leg. But there's an easier way when there's a complete body. God's design. Likewise, it's His church and He is the head. You have individual gifting. You edify the church. You have a part in this model, in this blueprint. Seek the Holy Spirit. Let Him reveal truth in your life. Give you the gift that He desires for you. And understanding this role, understanding the role of the Holy Spirit must lead us to understand that we cannot accomplish being fully devoted followers of Christ on our own. We will fail in our attempt to fabricate a devoted approach. There's no doubt. We will find ourselves frustrated. So where do we start? We go to the Christ. We go to the Spirit. Say, Lord, work in me. Look at these areas of the church, the New Testament church, and say, I'm not doing that. Father, reveal to me that simple. How to do that? And then listen. But here's the problem. Grievance. Objection. Disobedience. Pain to the Holy Spirit. We suffocate the Holy Spirit in our disobedience. We don't listen. We're not attentive. we got to get this. If we're not cautious, we turn to earthly counsel. We will turn to our worldly defaults to guide us. And those defaults got us in where we are in the first place. And the world does not understand how the manner in which we are to live. Because we weren't 
Our way of life was not revealed to us by the flesh and blood, by this world. It was revealed to us by God. It is a spiritual thing. So we must turn to the Holy Spirit to work in us. So the problem is our, our disobedience. But the solution is surrender. I talk about this often. Surrender daily. Denial to self. To see the completion of the likeness of Christ in our lives. Waking up daily to surrender. Design the Holy Spirit to do the will of the Father in us. So I close with this passage to start closing up Matthew 16. We turn back to 24 to 25. Peter's the rock. Jesus Christ used Peter to build his church. We looked at the church in Acts chapter 2 and what it looks like in that context and now what it can look like in this context. And now we are in chapter 16, verse 24. He says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone will come after me, let him deny, let him, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Problem, we grieve the Holy Spirit. The solution, we must surrender and die to ourselves daily. Take up that cross. Follow Jesus. So what does 2015 look like for the Oaks Church? It looks like what it should for every Christian. There's nothing new under the sun, church. We are to trust the Holy Spirit to finish His work in us and train to be fully devoted followers of Christ. I could pitch to you great ideas, new graphics, X, Y, Z, but my heart and our heart as the pastors and elders here is to see every individual experience Jesus Christ to the fullness. That's it. But if we're not cautious, things are in the way. So we learned today that the church is built upon the confessions of those who call Jesus the Christ. Our confession begins with peace made available on the cross through Jesus Christ. It begins with Peter's confession and continues with our confession here today and those who will confess tomorrow. Christ is the head of the church and the church is built upon that cornerstone. Ephesians 2, 17-21 And He came, Jesus, and He preached peace to you who were far off in peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Amen? Wow, the veil has been torn. But you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. You are the church. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by Spirit. We learn that church is built upon those who confess Jesus Christ. We learn our responsibility is to be the church, be available, surrender daily. We also learn that there's a collaborative effort of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit we call the Trinity to make this possible. The Heavenly Father has authority over all of our understanding of Christ. That puts us in our place. Secondly, Jesus made this way of understanding possible and then the Holy Spirit guides us in all of our way of this understanding. Charles Spurgeon, a quote, he says, 
give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would have never joined one at all. We are the church made of imperfect people. If we were perfect, there would be no room for the work of God. The prerequisite of sanctification is imperfection. Therefore, in order for the work of Christ to be evidenced, the church must be made of imperfect people. Find rest in your imperfections and trust the Holy Spirit of Christ to do what He is responsible to do. He will counsel and guide us through.